Well, I said we were almost through with the manual stuff, and uh, we are. Got uh, reading reading through all the stuff about quarantines. I was kind of I get up here, and I noticed that a lot. Looks like a lot of us are quarantined this morning at home. Uh, doesn't I don't think it's leprosy. I think it's probably the flu. But uh, hopefully, we're we're out of quarantine next week. There is after this big section on offerings that we did last week uh, the. Well, the significant portion of the remainder of Leviticus gets into feasts. They liked to eat, apparently. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Seems like a lot. They had too many feasts for us. There's, they had seven feasts. And uh, in, <laughs> let me just uh, say something to say something else here. My grandmother, or my, my wife's grandmother, is a full-blooded Irish woman. Um, and uh, her first words to me were, were this. She says, I'll bet you're Jewish, aren't you? That was her first words to me. And uh, by the way, she's from, she's from Scotland. That's why she had a Scotland broke. Uh, so anyway, Irish from Scotland, yeah. But the reason I say that is to say this. Here are some words that have never been said before in the history of humanity. Hey, honey, there's a great Jewish restaurant opening up. I mean, no one's ever said what a great Jewish restaurant that was. No one talks about great Jewish cuisine. And yet, for a people that don't have a cuisine, these people had seven feasts. What in the world do you do at your feasts? What do you eat? Matzo balls? Well, I could see this many feasts if they were Italian, but Jewish? I don't know, anyway. We're going to turn to Leviticus in chapter 23, beginning uh, with verse 1, 23, 1 through 3, and uh, read a little bit. We're not going to get into all their feasts. As I say, we don't have time to get into all their feasts. We're going to actually cover about half of them. Um, and I'll explain why in just a second. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 1 through 3. He says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed feasts, the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work whenever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. Um, so there's these, he talks about these feasts and he introduces the idea of a, a Sabbath. Now they've understood the Sabbath a long time before this. This was a, a thing from, from the beginning. And I want to first talk about the development of the concept of Sabbath. The word Sabbath really just means seven. Okay, it's a, de it's a derivative of the word seven. Uh, and the observance here of the Sabbath was to not work. That's what you did. And the, the word ends up becoming a more general word. If we were to read Leviticus chapter 16, in fact, the Passover was called a Sabbath, even though it very rarely, because it was on the same date every year, uh, it rarely fell on a Saturday. So, um, so why would that be called a Sabbath? 
because the word became simply to know, known as a day in which you rested. And so there were whole, any of the holy days were days in which you rested, these feasts or whatever. And, and so those were days that were Sabbaths. They were days of rest. We do kind of the similar thing, maybe not quite exactly, but, but you can see we have a thing called a holiday. Right? And in fact, if, you, if we were British, we would say, or, I'm going on holiday. We call it vacation. I'm going on vacation. But, but those are holidays. Now, the word holidays comes from holy days. The, the, there was a time in this country where uh, holy days you didn't work on. You, you, you weren't supposed to work on any of the holy days, Sunday being the one. Uh, you might have Easter or something like that. You were not supposed to work on those. So... They were holy days. They were days that the the Catholic Church treated, uh, or whatever churches treated as more important uh, religious ceremonies, and uh, all the there's just too many of them to remember, right? So, as time went on, if if you weren't religious, you still get the days off, I guess, from work, and and so they were just holidays. Oh yeah, I'm going on holiday, uh. and it, it just it changed. Even, even though it wasn't necessarily the holy day. That's kind of how this developed, you know, to this general idea of a day on which you don't work. And that's what it was for them. A day that they were appointed not to work was a Sabbath. And there were seven of these. And we're, as I say, going to talk about only uh, a few of them. Because the Sabbaths, or their, their feasts, were around two Days, the Day of Atonement and the Day of, uh, or the, the Passover. Uh, we're going to talk about the ones that have to do with the Passover. But before we do, I want to talk about two concepts of a feast as we would read through here. Now, as we said, the food might not have been the best, right? But at the foundation, it is not the important, uh, it's not the food that we celebrate. Food is just there as an excuse. What is important is what is being celebrated. Many of us have grown up in different cultures, different times. There were maybe maybe you you're doing all right now and you can really afford to have a get together, but maybe some of you remember a time where you didn't have all of that. Maybe some of you can't. Maybe your parents were always doing fine and you always had a huge celebration. I don't know. I grew up in the not always doing so fine category. And, and, and I wasn't the only one. My, our families weren't exactly rich. So I remember the, some of the food that we ate. And yet I don't recall really the food being any real important thing at our Christmases or at our Thanksgivings. Those weren't really the important thing. Because we were... We were celebrating something that was so much bigger. It was so much important. Today, the average Christmas costs about $1,000. I can't imagine spending $1,000 on a Christmas. And yet, people don't really seem to be happy. If you, you, the, the happiness is not connected to the dollar value. If you read the news and you, you see, fortunately, thanks to Amazon, there are fewer fights at, at, uh, at Walmart over toys and stuff like that. But it, it just used to be people were always fighting over the this and that. And they got to get this thing and they got to get that thing. And, and all of this emphasis on the, the things. And people who emphasize the things and the foods and all of that aren't happy. 
But it is the people who are celebrating something that are happy. I remember reading, we talked about reading with our kids a number of times, and, and we were reading Little House on the Prairie, and, and you see the, the one Christmas, they weren't really doing that well, and, and they, the, the two girls got a, um, they got a peppermint candy, they got a penny, and they got, to share now, they've got a tin cup. So the penny and a peppermint for each of them, and then they got a tin cup to share. Wow, what a Christmas. And they were happy. They were excited about that. Because it's a celebration. And it doesn't make a difference the quality of the things in the celebration. It has to do with what you're celebrating. Second thing is it is together. Every one of these feasts in, in here in Leviticus mentioned were celebrated together. In fact, some of them, three of them, they were told to come up to Jerusalem specifically. But if you couldn't, if you were way out and you couldn't make it, there were some, uh, there were some, you know, in case of those scenarios, there were ways in which you, God said, okay, you can, you can get around it. Uh, here's what you have to do to get around it. And so there were some, you know, obviously eventualities that, that come into play. But go to the synagogue that's near you or do this thing, whatever. But even in the ones that weren't, Required a lot of people still came to Jerusalem. A lot of still they still wanted to be together. So as I say, there are two groups of feasts, and we're going to look at um, the feasts, four feasts that are connected with the Passover. So we're going to read Leviticus chapter twenty-three. We're going to begin in verse four. <clears throat> He says, these are the Lord's appointed feasts, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim in their appointed times. The Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day, then the Lord's feast of unleavened bread begins. Seven days you will eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly. Do not do any regular work. For seven days, present offerings made by the Lord by fire. And on the seventh day, hold an assembly and do no regular work. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you and reap its harvest, bring the priest some of the first grain that you harvest. It is a wave of the sheaf before the Lord and it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. And on the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice a burnt offering to the Lord, a lamb, uh, a year old without defect, together with its grain offering, two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made to the Lord by fire, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering, a quarter of a hint of wine. You must not eat any bread or roast any new grain until the very day that you bring this offering to your God. This is to be the last ordinance for the generations to come, wherever you live. Now from the day after the Sabbath, the day that you brought the sheaf, the wave offering, count off seven full weeks, 50 days beginning after the Sabbath, seventh Sabbath, and then uh, present an offering, a new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour, baked with yeast as a wave offering, with the first fruits to the Lord. Present us with uh, bread seven. Present with this bread seven male lambs, each a year old, without defect, one young bull and two rams. There will be a burnt offering to the Lord, together with the grain offerings and the drink offerings, and the offering made by fire and aroma, pleasing to the Lord. And, Sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering and two lambs, each a year old, for a fellowship offering. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord. I don't know how that they did that. Just pick up a 
big sheep and wave it around. But anyway, they were going to pick up the uh, the sheep. Maybe they just kind of pretended like, oh, here I'm waving. But uh, okay, so wave the sheep um, before the Lord um, with the bread of the first fruits there to sake their sacred offering to the Lord for the uh, for the priest. And on that same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your field of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord, your God. So we want to talk about the four feasts of the Lord. And as we said, it's what you celebrate. What were they commemorating? Well, these commemorate the providence of God. They're connected um, at the beginning of the year. And of these, we know the most about the Passover, right? We know uh, the most. And that's the central portion of this. And it's the one that touches all of them off. The Passover. And so we begin in looking at the things that God provides. And the things that God provides are commemorated in these feasts. We see that God provides a way out of Egypt. We see that God provided deliverance from the plagues, specifically the death of the firstborn. God provided for them a system of law. He provides for their well-being and their basic physical needs as they wander throughout. And then he provides a destination, a homeland, a permanent place to live. And so, uh, so we begin right with this Passover and looking at the things that he's having them commemorate. Now I want you to remember the tenuousness of the situation as, as they go through the plagues. We sometimes think of it just as a fairy tale, and as a fairy tale we don't really encounter real human lives, but I want you to picture what it must have been like for a person to go through these things uh, and, and to, to feel that nervousness about what's going to happen. As you're suffering these, or not necessarily suffering, but you're, you're seeing other people suffer these things. And some of the things that they suffered, they suffered along with the Egyptians, for a few of them. But uh, in, in, picture how, the, how you feel as you start getting blamed for the things that are happening to the Egyptians. Especially once they notice that you're not suffering anymore, and it's only them. And you feel the, the retribution wanting of, of these Egyptians as they look at you. Starting to get a little nervous. And then God says, uh, you're going to be harsh to my people? You want to lay down more requirements and, and more difficulties for my people? And I'm going to get back at you. And there's a cycle of, of, of the plagues that does that. And it's, it's escalating. And God says, oh yeah, I'm going to escalate this. And God is showing his power. Now, certainly he was showing his power to the persecutors. But I've always found it interesting that there were ten different plagues. And yet God, as he, they lead out, he, he waits for ten different times that they rebel and, and complain and Reject what he, what he said before he said, okay, this group's not going in to my promised land. Ten times. This is, I, I, I can't help but think that there's a connection between those two things. That God showed them his power ten times, and ten times they, they failed to see what he was doing. 
failed to have confidence in what he was doing, and then he, he cuts it off. He was showing his power for them. That's primarily what those plagues were for, I believe. To show his power to his people. To instill in their minds their need for him. That God does the impossible. The day after the Passover, they start the unleavened bread. And I want to uh, look at some of the... Uh, some of the, the things that this has to do with as we look at why certain things happen. In other words, why did God say to the Israelites, listen, I want you to stand up and I want you to eat the Passover. Don't sit down and I want you not to, to eat, leave any of it until, you know, until the morning. I, don't want, I want you to eat every bit. Was he just concerned to them, you know, just gorge yourself. I just want you to be gluttons today. This is a day to enjoy and be gluttons. No, this is what was happening. They were getting ready to leave and go on a very long walk. Days. They were going to go for days. And there's millions of people that, that are going to be coming out of this. Out of, and, and they're going to be going in a hurry. hurry. And he's going to say, listen, there's not going to be a whole lot of time to stop and cook food on the way. So you better fill up now. That's the idea. See, these weren't just blind things. And so we come to this next day. We come to this Feast of Unleavened Bread. Mmm, yummy. Why unleavened bread? Isn't there something a little bit more tasty? What happens the day after Passover? Well, the day after the Passover, they're walking. As we said, you don't have time to cook a lot of food, but here's another thing you don't have a lot of time to do, is you don't have a lot of time to bake food. You don't have a lot of time to, to let your yeast, and remember, they didn't have Fleischmann's yeast packets, instant acting, whatever. They had to make sourdough. Some of you make sourdough, my wife makes sourdough. Stinks up the kitchen, right? And, and it's just sitting there and it's got to it's go. And, and you don't rush sourdough, trust me. You gotta let it raise, and it's gotta do its thing for two whatever days, and it's it'll be good. It'll be good once you get there, but but it's gonna take its time. They didn't have time to do this. This was how they cooked food. You don't have time to do this. So he's like, put some flour, put some water, maybe some oil. You want a little salt? Put it, bake it, go, because you're gonna be walking in the desert, and that's what you're gonna have to live. When that runs out, I'll have something else for you. Don't worry about it. But for now, that's what you got. And they remembered it. I want a feast of unleavened bread. So that a long time later, you can remember when you came out and God said, this is what we're going to do and this is what it takes to get out of Egypt. It's going to take some difficulties to get out of Egypt, but you're going to get out. And I'm going to be the one that does it. You might not have great eats, for a few days, for a few weeks. But you'll survive, and it will be because of me. So we come to this third, the third and fourth one are similar in some of the things that they commemorate. We get to the Feast of First Fruits. 
this is kind of connected to the grain offering we talked about last week. Or it was when they came into <clears throat> this would commemorate. Now this was the next feast uh, that they celebrated, but but this would actually commemorate the last thing that happened, which was when they came into their uh, the promised land. They would uh, harvest right. The provisions, the miraculous provisions ended and they get to harvest their own little crops and they, their own fields, their own place. They have the, it's wonderful. No more wandering around. And they get to remember what was given to them. God has fulfilled the promise that he had made to Abraham 430 years earlier. I will bring your people. They're going to go down. They're going to be enslaved. But I don't worry about it. I'm going to bring them up. And this land that you're standing on now, Abraham, it's going to belong to your great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren. So when they do, I want you to give the first of whatever you harvest to me. That's mine. (coughs) And we come to this Feast of Weeks. It's the last of them. It was 50 days after the Passover. Seven weeks beginning from the beginning of the Day of Unleavened Bread. So he says, I want you to remember that. Fifty days later, the weeks represent this period right after the Exodus. So we're kind of backing up in what they commemorate. In which God is providing for them and, and getting them out. And he's providing for their needs and doing everything that they need. Right after the Exodus. But this is what's interesting. Because he's not just providing for them physically, but he was providing for them spiritually. Because they, they get to this mountain. They're finally safe. Egypt is no longer an enemy. And they get to this mountain. And it's kind of interesting. Now, this is not spoken of uh, in the Bible, but according to every Jewish rabbi there is, 50 days brings us to the day of Pentecost, or, excuse me, brings us to, to, the, to Mount Sinai. And then that's, by the way, that's what this, this 50 days Pentecost is, is 550. That is, the Feast of Weeks ends up being the conclusion of the Passover holidays. It's the conclusion. And it's the day of Pentecost. We're going to look at something so neat in just a second. As we wrap this up. And God provides a law for them. He hasn't just provided their, their, spirit, their, their physical needs, but He provides for them spiritually. He organizes them into a religious group. Not just a nation, but the, a, a moral concept. A moral code is given. Remember, we talked about this... Uh, a few weeks ago, that, that God has, he's a, a God who is glorious in his holiness. Remember that concept. And he gives them a law. He lets them, says, let me provide for you spiritually so you know how to live and you know what God wants. And then he has this weird thing at the end of this all. At the end of this all, it seems like he says, I've, I've uh, forgotten something, and I just need to throw it in here before I forget. And he has this little blurb about 
not harvesting their fields and leaving it for other people and, and making sure. And it's, it sounds so disconnected. What does that have to do with anything? As a part of this conclusion of everything and going into this promised land and having everything and God's provided for everything, this is extremely connected. He's letting them know, listen, by the way, by the way, I provided all of these things from the time you left to the time you came here. I am the one who has provided for you when you could not handle things yourself, when you could not grow your own food, I gave you manna, when you... When you were disorganized, I gave you a law. When you were this, I gave you that. When you were scared, I let you cross and I took care of your enemies. I took care of everything. So when you get there and you have poor people, don't forget that what you have was given to you. Give it to other people. Be kind to other people. See, these are all extremely connected. So I want to look at the fulfillment. First of all, we know that Christ is our Passover. Christ was the one that was sacrificed for me. We've already talked about that. The, the, the offerings that Christ is fulfilled through. And Christ is my Passover. He's the one that, that was killed so, so that I could escape death. And escape Slavery. And God provided a way out through Christ. We come to the easiest to recognize the similarity, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, in which God says, you know what, commemorate this. Christ, your Passover, was celebrated. And keep it with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. In communion, we celebrate the miraculous bread from heaven. That pure sacrifice that was made for us. We've been given a destination. You've been given a, a place of permanence. And we wander around here and we, we worry about things and we complain about things and, and we look at things and say, when is this going to end? And God says, listen, I have a place of permanence for you. Just trust me. Just trust me. Celebrate these things together. Celebrate this together. Come together and celebrate what I'm doing, even if things don't always feel the greatest. It's not about the things. It's not about how great the building is. It's not about how, and I, I'm, you know, there's, there can be nice things. I'm not saying that everything is awful. But it's not about the things that we use in the celebration. It's about the things that we're celebrating that life here might not be the greatest all the time. But I'm definitely going to celebrate what I'm going to have, a place of permanence. How interesting it is then. Fifty days after the Passover, as the Jewish people are, are preparing, and they've all come down to Jerusalem for the Passover, and they've stayed there because they're going to... The, the, the Feast of Weeks is the other one that they got to stick around for. 
to conclude this. They're going to they're gonna stick around and, and, and celebrate the Feast of Weeks. And that's going to conclude on this, past, uh, on, this, on this day of Pentecost. And when everybody is commemorating and celebrating how Moses gave them the law, at the conclusion of that exodus, a man stands up in the middle of town and delivers for the first time a new law. He speaks and preaches a sermon and opens up the door of the church. And he concludes the Passover sacrifice of Christ with a new message that something is open. There's something open. God has provided yet again. He has provided something spiritual for us. Don't take that for granted. Don't take this church for granted. Don't take the gathering of ourselves together for granted. God has provided all these things for us. From the beginning to the end. From the sacrifice of Christ up through everything that we need. God has provided. And this is the big idea.